I've, I've always had a sense that there were sp- specific ingredients that would need to go into this dish. Yes. But without necessarily knowing what the final dish is going to look or taste like. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And so it, it, it always has revolved around, number one, being able to connect with people through that shared experience of laughter. Yes. Being able to make people laugh and through that disarming effect of laughter to connect with people in a way that goes beyond what you can do in traditional media. Yeah. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another exciting episode of Lancelot's Roundtable. I'm excited to bring on a good friend of mine, Alex Markley. Alex, welcome to the Roundtable. Hello. Thank you. Why don't you take a minute and introduce yourself to the people? Yeah. Uh, so, uh, you already said I'm Alex Markley. Established. Um, it is established, yes. Uh, so, I, uh, I am a, uh online creator. Uh, I don't like saying YouTube channel person because, mm-hmm. you know, there's a whole thing about that we'll probably get into. Sure. Uh, but I like to make funny videos, put them online, mm-hmm. and make people laugh. That's something that I really enjoy doing. In a nutshell, yes. In a nutshell. That is not what I do for my day job, Okay, uh, unfortunately. I'm <laughs> not yet anyway. Yes. Not yet. Yes. Not yet anyway, yes. Um, yeah, as a, uh, you know, uh, by, by day, I am a, uh, s- like a software and solutions architect. Mm-hmm. So I get to work on uh, systems that need to talk to each other over networks and get stuff done for people. And a lot of times they're broken and I have to talk through helping people fix them. So some problem solving. All kinds of problems. All oh, kinds yeah. of problems. I mean, if you have day. a computer and it's connected to another computer, that's like two problems right there. <laughs> <laughs> you haven't even started yet. <laughs> right. Just two problems initially. Yeah. And it's going to get wild. So, yeah, yeah. So let's just talk. Let's just dive right in and talk about Markley Brothers Entertainment. How did you even. Yeah. When did you even have the idea to create web video content? Well, initially it, it wasn't going to be web video content. Okay. Um, you know, this is, uh, this is a, a, you know, journey that started with me and my siblings playing with my dad's camcorder Yep. and, uh, you know, really enjoying just, uh, making goofy stuff. And, you know, if it was a video recorder, if it was a cassette recorder, we would just, you know, make, make jokes and do goofy stuff and enjoy that. Uh, I took a brief detour into, um, designing video games and, and, uh, programming video games as a teenager. Um, and then spent a bunch of time working on figuring out how to do the music for those video games, Okay, uh, music and sound effects and all that fun stuff. And so that turned into basically, uh, a whole, a whole bunch of stuff that I wanted to put on the internet and share with people. And at the time there were it wasn't really a good platform for that. This was kind of pre pre YouTube days. Yes, um, back in the days of antiquity. Yes, back in back in the <laughs> back in the the uh, Stone Age of the internet. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, a lot of um, just putting files up and 
saying, telling people to go download them and then they couldn't because they didn't have the right driver or something. <laughs> <laughs> like, have you installed Flash Player? Oh, <laughs> You gosh. need to install Real Player. Oh, my God. QuickTime. Or Direct. What is True, it? The Direct, yeah, direct X? Media. Yeah, Direct oh, X drivers. Gosh. Yep. So, so, I mean, that just that does remind me of, oh, gee, I think it would have been in the 90s when my parents got their first personal computer and, like, we had a chess game on there mm-hmm. where there was just, like, the little animations of all the little characters yeah. that they would go, and then they would kill each I other. Remember the, like, the little pinball? The pinball oh, game yes. Came with every yeah, we every need to, single we need to, PC. We need to wrap up this part of the conversation because it's making me sad. <laughs> <laughs> the nostalgia overload oh. is real. Oh. This, was a t- this was a dark time. So I want to talk about the cassette recording. So I'm picturing oh, no. you with... Okay, so like a cassette tape is pre-CD. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, we would we would have like the little, you know, your little uh, portable cassette player, yes. right? That had like the microphone, and so you could record and make silly voices, and you know. So, like, was this a story, or were you were you writing jokes? Like, what what was that content? I I mean, I wouldn't say that it really ever amounted to any content. It was <laughs> it was just jokes, right? Yeah. Like, I figured out a way to uh, make like a really spooky voice, okay, and turn it up super loud, and then put it under my sister's bed, <laughs> right? And we had one of those remote control like uh, power switches that okay. you know you could use for lights all over the house. Oh, that's cool. So we 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 like you know, wired it up so that I could remotely turn on spooky noises like under my sister's bed. Oh she, my gosh, that's amazing. I'm not sure she's this Susie? Yet. No, this was Alice. Alice, yeah. okay, I haven't met Alice. Uh, she, uh, she's probably still not forgiven. <laughs> <laughs> Hence why I haven't met Alice. So I want to talk now because I don't think I knew this, video games. I didn't know you designed video games. Uh, well, you know, <laughs> it was... Uh, it, it was an interesting, it was an interesting endeavor. Um, you know, I had a couple of ideas for video games and, and actually, you know, I've always been more of a technologist than anything else. And I've mm-hmm. been very fascinated by the intersection of technology and creativity and yes. how technology can, um, when used correctly, can really enable creativity that uh, really, you know, you can, you can make things happen that couldn't possibly be done otherwise. Yes. So, um, you know, I was really interested in, uh, interactive, uh, you know, interactive media and, um, you know, video games, stuff like that. Like these are the kinds of things that every kid wants to program. Yes. Uh, and it's true. You know, I think I was 13 when I actually like programmed my first video game and it was a really simple like maze game. So sure. I don't want to, you know, over oversell it or anything, but you weren't doing any Bioware games or anything. No, no, no. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah. I mean, that's what I've heard. So like there was a friend of mine growing up, he went into computer science, I think at OSU and one of the classes that they were doing had to do with like designing something video game related. And so he was asking me what kind of a video game should I build? I don't probably cause I was a nerd, but mm-hmm. he, uh, I was like, I think you should do chess and then he's like, that's way too complicated because there's that's way too hard. many variables, so I can't do that. And then I was like, well, you can't even, like, design a chess game? Like, what are your options even? <laughs> and, like, I didn't get, like, a full idea. So I was just curious, like, what, like, is this in DOS? Like, where is this environment that you're creating a video game? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so this was actually, you know, I took a very weird path, right? Mm. So I, you know, want to make that clear. Like, I was, I was homeschooled and... uh 
you know, my dad was very deep into technology. So mm. you know, a lot of my directions were kind of like uh, either from him or self-directed. So, yes. so this wasn't like in a classroom setting, right? Right. Um, right. But what I did was I found a uh, like an open source compiler for uh, Game Boy, for Game Boy Color. Got it. So I was just very interested in designing, um, you know, uh, like to me, the, the, you know, the Nintendo systems were kind of like the, the pinnacle of, you know, gaming, you know, like if you could, if you could make a a Nintendo game, you were like, you made it, you know, (laughs) cause they were like gatekeeping the entire experience. It was very difficult. Like there was no such thing as, you know, like a, a homebrew, Nintendo game. Right. Right. So I didn't want to do like a DOS game or a Windows game Mm because I was like, no, I want to get the attention of Nintendo. Yes. (laughs) You know? Yes. (laughs) Absolutely. So I was literally coding in C and uh, messing around with a Game Boy compiler. And so this isn't even on a PC? Well, the. You know, the, 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 the code is on, on the okay. PC. So, yep. you know, uh, designing the code, designing mm-hmm. the little tiles, you know, but compiling it down into a binary that could literally run on Game Boy hardware. That's amazing. Did you get it to run on Game Boy hardware? We, yes, we did. Yeah. We did. Who's, who's the we? Uh, well, my dad helped me with the, the actual electronics because, okay. you know, yep. there's an interface. You have, yes. to, you have to go from, you can't just have like, ones and zeros, you have to actually like burn it onto a chip and yep. then plug it in and yep. get it, get it going. But yeah. So like you're actually like physically doing stuff to an actual Game Boy to get this too. Oh yeah. We work. bought a ton of Game Boy cartridges <laughs> and just like tore them all apart. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. So like, was your dad fairly self-taught as well? Yeah, I would say, uh, you know, he's, he's kind of, kind of, uh, in, in one of the earliest waves of, yeah computer engineers and and software yes uh, software well like yeah so. you go back far enough and there wasn't even like a major in a university oh for no computer stuff no no yeah this was yeah i mean he was he was coming up when if you wanted like if you wanted a computer you had to solder it together yourself. <laughs> like, i'm not kidding that was not yeah. an exaggeration yeah i think our first computer that was in the actual house was i think it was called a commodore computer and i don't mm-hmm. even think it worked but it was an entire desk that was in our basement, and it had, I don't know what the size of the floppy was, but it was, like, bigger than a nice, record. Nice, And that was a floppy disk that went into part of the desk, which was part of the computer. Nice. And I think it was called a Commodore, but it, I don't even think it turned on. And then they eventually got a PC that would have been one of the earliest iterations of Windows, where it booted up into DOS, and then mm-hmm. you would go into Windows, or you would do stuff mm-hmm. in DOS. And then I think when I was in college is when personal computers started booting up into Windows, where where Windows basically became the primary thing instead of DOS Mm -hmm. being like the main thing. Mm -hmm. And I don't know much about computers, and I'm not a very smart individual, but (laughs) I think it's really fascinating that... Because, I mean, you're talking about being a 13-year-old kid, and you're talking about like self-teaching complicated matters in technology. Why did you have motivation to do that, would you say? Instead of really anything else that a 13-year-old could be doing, like riding a bike or whatever oh, yeah. 13-year-olds get into. Yeah. Um, I, I've always had a very deep focus on whatever it is that's in front of me. Mm-hmm. And 
So when I, when I came to the conclusion that I really wanted to make a video game, there were, there were a couple of things about that. You know, one was I, I, if I, once I came to the, once I came to understand that the tools were available Mm -hmm. and that there was nothing stopping me from doing it, Mm -hmm. um, it was, you know, it, it was like just a mind over matter. Like my, you know, my, I had to discipline my will to get it done. Yeah. But the other thing too was that, you know, um, and I don't know where this came from, but in my earliest years, and I'm thinking like 10 yeah. or even, you know, you know, eight, eight, nine, ten. 10, I, I really, um, experienced a lot of like, uh, a lot of uh, anxiety and apprehension around not having, not knowing how to program the computer. Sure. Like this idea that, you know, you know, my dad could do it. Yep. Right. And uh, I I wasn't exposed to other people's dads, but I figured like, if I want to be like dad, when I grow up, I have to Mm. be able to do this. And I didn't, I couldn't really wrap my head around why that wasn't clicking for me. Yeah. And I was like, man, I must be really stupid. (laughs) (laughs) And nobody ever told me that it was just like this, uh, inference that I made yeah. that if I was like eight years old and hadn't figured out how to program a computer yet, it just wasn't going to happen. Oh man. So oh, there was a lot of pressure. Poor kiddo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, seriously. Cause that's, I mean, that's no joke. Like being able yeah. to com- program a computer. So like, what did you eventually do? Did you just get books out of the library? Did you just work with your dad? There, there's a book, there's a, a, a series of two books that are no longer in print. Sure. Um, that I I can I can still remember. Uh, it was C plus plus for dummies, volumes one and two by Dan Gukin. Mm-hmm. And the the current version of C plus plus for dummies is a completely different book. Mm, it's sure. by a different author, and uh, and has no um, no relationship to the original uh, the original two books. But I basically made the decision that even if I didn't understand it, I was going to type in every example. Sure. Uh, and work through the entire book from front, you know, these two books from front to back. And by the time I was done, I understood how programming worked. How long did that take? A long time. (laughs) To get through two As a side effect, I also learned how to type. (laughs) (laughs) I learned how to type, uh, what was it, Macy's typing or something, basically... It was a computer program, and you were driving a car. And if oh you yeah, typed I hated successfully, that stuff. I ate it up for some reason, and then and then once I learned how to kind of type bare necessities, then I was like, I can write stories. Nice. And that's when I started writing because nice. I, I tried writing as a kid. This is something we can get, get get into later, maybe. Like, it's been brought up on other episodes, but I used to love to write because I was cre- very creative, so I would have things in my mind, imagine very imaginative type stories. So I would write them down. Started with a pen. And then after maybe 20 pages, I would realize, oh, I got to edit this, which means I have to rewrite the whole page. And then that messes mm-hmm. up every subsequent page. Mm-hmm. I think that kind of caused burnout. So once I had a computer in front of me, a oh, yeah. Word doc, and I could see how easy the editing was, I was like, okay. So anyway, that's really funny that you didn't know how to type. You get out these programming books. You're typing in. So I'm, what I'm picturing is you opening C++ for dummies. Mm-hmm. You see an example of code. Mm-hmm. You type it in. And is it enter or do you type a command run? Yeah, you would have to. So this was actually on, on DOS. I had DOS. a Borland C compiler and okay. you would have to uh, compile your C program into mm-hmm. an EXE file. 
mm-hmm. and then you could run it. Mm-hmm. And Windows XE. Oh no, this was a There's DOS something EXE. Else. DOS a, EXE. A DOS EXE. Got yeah. it. Okay. Yeah. And so you know, if you got it right, you could run it. Otherwise, you would not. And but, but I mean, that's that's something to talk about. I think there too, because back during that kind of a program, you didn't necessarily. I don't think you were working with a program that would point out where your error was. It just wouldn't work. And then it's up to you. Well, the compiler would try to tell you it where it, it thought if if it failed to compile. But if and this is still the case today. If you are writing a program and uh, it it uh, works, but it does the wrong thing, mm-hmm. then you have to go on an adventure to figure out why. <laughs> That's really funny. Yeah, okay. because from the computer's perspective, it's doing what you asked. It's just not what you want. Yeah, and it's not gonna. It's not yeah. sophisticated enough to to tell you. That's so. That's so crazy. Have you heard of? I got to look this up right now because I, I need to get this right. Have you heard of? I think it's thirteen minutes to the moon podcast. Have you heard of that? I don't think so. Hold on, it's. it's I'm pulling it up here. Uh, 13 Minutes to the Moon, um, which was a BBC World Service podcast. I don't remember how many episodes are in this thing, but it's all about how they got the guys to the moon. And they have so many different podcasts about how they developed the technology and the mm-hmm. lady, the ladies mm-hmm. that wrote the program That's right. to basically for the command module to actually land. So the program's behind getting this thing to land on the moon and all the errors and issues that came up and everything. So, like, it's, it's just really fascinating because what they were programming on, I think, was, like, cards. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, where you would type stuff in, is like, the cards, and the cards go into the computer. Just, I mean, the super, super, super basic stuff. So, But that's essentially what one of the main things that allowed us to have personal computers later is because they worked so hard to develop all this different technology. Oh, yeah. So what's always been fascinating to me about people that learn programming languages, I have... One of my jobs at my current, in my in the company that I work for right now, one of my jobs was doing data. It wasn't data mining or anything like that. It would basically be like data targeting. So you have a group of people that you want to market to. So my job was to get in there, write down specific programming code to go into our database. So it was like a database code. And the interesting thing about writing that kind of code is that everything's like color co- color coded and everything. So yeah. if you don't mm-hmm. type something correctly... Mm-hmm. it usually comes out in red. It's like you're not using the right thing here. Mm-hmm. But what you're describing, right, is not in this kind of an environment where right. you type something <laughs> out, you think it might be right, and then again, you might have to go on adventure to find out what's not running correctly. Right. Yeah, and I mean, it would be the same if, if uh, let's say, I assume you're using like a, a SQL or mm-hmm. like a SQL query, right? SQL and SAS, yep. Yep, and if you've got a... Uh, you know, if, if you just mess up your join in a way that is syntactically correct but doesn't make any sense, then you're either going to get not enough rows back or you're going to get way, way, way too many. Way too many, and you might get an email <laughs> right, exactly. from somebody. <laughs> your thing is still running, and you are taking up some yeah, exactly. bandwidth. We shut it down. We Don't do that query. again. Yes. Stop. Yes. So that would be me <laughs> trying to run something, and then I'm running, and I'm like, this is taking a long time, and then they'll shut it down. Mm-hmm. And then you get your no returns, and it's like, okay, I'm getting my email soon. Oh, yes. Or your boss just gets the email, or you both get the email. That's always fun. Oh, yeah. So anyway, th- that was really cool. So what <laughs> happens next in your journey? Like you're learning, you've, you've basically self-taught yourself different programming things. Did you mm-hmm. keep going down that path? 
Did it change? Like kind of what came, what came next? Yeah, I think, um, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a long story. Um, so kind of, kind of, uh, kind of summarizing a little bit, you know, we, you know, I, I spent a lot of time, uh, uh, chatting with friends and, and, and talking with people about trying to put together, uh, some, uh, some kind of, you know, uh, you know, media collaborative, uh, group of people who are, you know, using, using their, uh, creative talents to, uh, to do stuff and, and publish things online. Yep. You know, Napster was turning into a big thing at the okay. time. Okay. And I was completely, completely captivated by the idea of basically just writing the middleman out of the media equation. And today... So like a record company being right. the middleman? Yes. And today that doesn't even resonate with people because right. they've never even like lived in a world where there are intermediaries mm-hmm. uh, who basically gatekeep and decide whose stuff can be published and whose stuff cannot be published. But, um, but, but it was a very real concern and something that I, I was, uh, you know, I was very captivated by and fascinated by the theoretical power of the internet mm-hmm. to connect creators directly to their audience. Yep. You know, and it's the, the fruit of which we're enjoying now, but at the time it was completely hypothetical. Right. So, uh, so Napster just completely blew the doors off of that at the level of individuals realizing that the internet could be a place where they could go and get content. Yeah. Before that, it was like, eh, why would you use the internet? What, what would you use the internet for? Right. In terms of entertainment, because I've got my cable and I've got my theater and I've got my blockbuster. So what, you know, I got the library or Barnes and Noble, whatever. So why would I ever use the Internet for content? Right. Um, Anyway, so that was transformative, uh, obviously, for the world, but also for, you know, teenage Alex. Yeah, your journey. Freaking out. (laughs) You know, I would basically be telling people if it. If they if they weren't walking fast enough, they'd hear about it from me, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it was kind of a problem. But anyway, uh, so I just went on a tear. So I I started uh, publishing music. I I yeah. co-wrote a novel with a buddy of mine and started Jeez, a podcast. I didn't know that either. Oh, it's it's a. I mean, what was the novel about? Oh, I don't want to talk about it. Okay. It's atrocious. <laughs> That's fair. It's not in print anymore. It's Let's one just of those, call it that. It's <laughs> one of those things as a young person that you create and you think it's so dope when you're creating it. And then at some point you realize, nope, it's no good. Well, it was there, there was that. But I've also really, I, I, I used to have, you know, when I was very young, I had like crippling perfectionist tendencies. And sure. so. Uh, it was very therapeutic for me to just be able to like complete things. Yes. And so being able to complete a novel with, you know, 50, 60,000 words in it, um, was, it, it was, it was transformative for my creative journey, even though I knew at the time that it wasn't like going to be a magnum opus or anything. It was just a thing that I completed. Yeah. And so I think, you know, for me, that's, that's one of the things that, you know, as I, as I walk forward in my journey and, and like want to share those learnings with other people, especially like younger creatives, that's mm-hmm. one of my go-to things is like, you know, how do you do X, Y, Z? And the answer is just like, start, just like start anything. 
You yeah. know? Well, I mean, honestly, that was the advice you gave me when before I even did the podcast. Oh, that's, yeah. That's come up before in conversations on how this podcast got started is you and Hannah came over and we were talking about different creative things. And I had mentioned, cause I think at the time really all I had was the name Lance Lots round table. Mm-hmm. And then you said something to the effect of in talking about your journey, the most important thing was just to start getting stuff out there Absolutely. and not worry about it being perfect. Oh yeah. Which is, which is huge. And so in my mind, as soon as we had that conversation, I was like, Oh yeah, I don't have to figure out everything about it. I yeah. just, if I want to do a podcast, all I need to do is just get the equipment. And I think yeah. you even pointed me in the direction of equipment. So I got my two little condenser mics and then I started inviting people. And then that is literally how it got started. And here we are today. Yeah. Which is so great because I think before that he was a little bit like, all right, maybe someday, mm-hmm. but you lit mm-hmm. this fire under us that was like, oh, we just can do it. Yeah. I, I think that's so awesome. And, and I love, I love that that's, you know, I, I love that that's the trajectory that you that you took mm-hmm. and that it's been so successful, you know, yeah. because obviously here here you are in your second season and second season with new equipment, which, again, you helped out with the new equipment indirectly <laughs> because we were over at your house talking. And I was like, I don't remember what I said to you, but you were because I was like, I kind of want to upgrade. I don't really know what to do. And I don't know anything about sound equipment. I, mm-hmm. But, you know, you know, all sorts of technology because all this self teaching that you've done school of um, hard knocks school of hard knocks i've blown up so many transformers and little <laughs> you know all the all the little solid state electronics we call it letting the magic smoke out yes yes you do yeah so but i mean just to kind of finish that loop like you you gave me a couple xlr cables you gave me a mixer mm-hmm. and you were just like try to do this this and this and then I couldn't get it to work for whatever reason on the on the on the iMac. I couldn't get it to work, but that started my research process. Like nice. that basically gave me the nudge because half the time, if you don't know how, if you don't know anything about technology, really, you just need somebody to point you and get you into a good starting position. Because otherwise, you are just stuck spinning your wheels yeah. and you never get anywhere. So then, what happened after I started doing all this research? I found out that two of my good friends are going to start their own podcast. Nice and. I was telling him about my journey, which again, that indirectly comes from you. So he goes and one of my friends, he goes and he tells me about this device, the Rodecaster. Mm-hmm. And then I, I, for some reason, none of my Google searchers, Google searches brought me across this device. But as soon as he told me about it, I went, I was like, that, that literally does everything that I want it to do. And it's ease of use where I don't have to do duct taping anything. Nice. So awesome. they're, they're actually recording their first episodes with basically the exact same equipment. They have nicer boom arms. Um, but it's just that's crazy that they got started and they actually were our first two uh, our first two episodes of the season are those guys. So that's awesome. That's it's kind of crazy because I mean that's one of the things that we talked about initially is just like encouraging creatives to get out there and that's actually been like kind of a main theme of this season is is just talking about the creative process and that there isn't a ton of incentive just out there directly for somebody who's creative and really. If you want to start producing something as a creative, it does really come down to your own motivation. So I think that would be a good thing for you to maybe talk to people about is just as a creative, you have an idea, whether it's writing a novel, whether Mm -hmm. it's learning technology, whether it's learning how to paint, learning how to draw, whatever that creative thing could be, pottery. How do you generally encourage people just stop sitting and thinking Mm -hmm. because you can actually start moving? Maybe go into that, whatever sparks your mind there. Yeah, yeah. 
Well, I, I think that for, for me, I have kind of two, two answers to that. Okay. Um, you know, in, in my way of thinking, when I have a, when I have a, a creative idea that I want to pursue, mm-hmm. part of my thinking process is just really realizing that if I don't do the work and make it, then it will never exist. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I I think that um, there are people out there for whom their primary motivation is mass market success. Mm -hmm. And if that's what you want, then that motivation isn't going to be very compelling because basically mass market success means that you're making the same thing that everyone else is making. That's a good point. But, um, and, and I'm not saying that you have to like sit on your hands until you come up with some like crazy unique idea. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I believe that, uh, God made us unique, that he made us to image himself in Mm -hmm. a way that includes, reflecting his creativity into creation. Mm. And so if you have an idea and you are unique, then you will be, you know, producing something that's unique in, in the world. And so if you don't do the work, then it's not going to exist. Yeah. Right. And that'll be one less, uh, expression of creativity, you know, that, that you leave behind when you, when you go. So that's part of it is, is just really recognizing that, you know, I, I have ideas that I want to see realized, you know, honestly, just for the pure creative satisfaction of it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But then in addition to that, I think you really do have to be a little bit crazy in that you really love the process, right? You Mm -hmm. just really love, um, rolling up your sleeves and, 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 and putting your hands into the clay, you know, using some kind of tortured metaphor there, but you know, <laughs> really getting your hands dirty with the creative work. Yeah. Because if you don't, then you'll get, you'll get discouraged right away because it is, yeah. it is a lot of work to actually, you know, put something out there. And I guess the only other thing that comes to mind on that is too, like if you have your idea for something unique that you want to put out into the world is this huge magnum opus, you, you got to carve it up into smaller pieces. That's right? good. Or just work up to it. You know, you, 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 you're not going to tackle everything all at once because you need to have something that you can show for your efforts mm-hmm. on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. Uh, otherwise, again, like no amount of really enjoying the technology or really enjoying the brushwork or really enjoying like whatever it is that you've set your hands to mm-hmm. is going to carry you through a really long season of not having anything to show for your effort. That's a really, that's a really good point. It is having something starting small. I mean, like I even think about the art, you know, gardening, that's like another side hobby that we've kind of taken up here and there. But when we started, we started with a very easy plant that doesn't die easy. It grows easy without having to touch it. Garlic. Mm -hmm. So there was something about putting in the ground that was really fun, but then seeing it come up, and then come to full, I don't know what you call that, full fruit or whatever, grow, go, grow the whole way, and then ha- pulling it out of the ground and then physically seeing that done, the level of motivation that that brings to dig in and learn oh, more yeah. was huge. So I oh, think that, yeah. that's, a, that's a really, really good point. Yeah, success is contagious, mm-hmm. right? It, it breeds, you know, success breeds con- success within ourselves, but it also 
uh, it also has a community effect, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and I see this all the time with my customers. I see it all the time with, you know, people that I, that I know, like when people are excited about something that they've done, uh, it's, it's contagious. Yes, it does absolutely spread. So let's get into a little bit more specifically Markley Brothers Entertainment, yes. the stuff that you create, yes. like where are you at now? Where can people find you? Let's just start getting into that. Go, go for the full plug. Full plug. We're going to just plug Markley Bros Entertainment. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I guess, you know, I used to say that we were a YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. Um, and I say, you know, I say that just to, to, to clarify, you know, I, I'm, I'm looking for more than a YouTube channel now where we are a group of uh, independent filmmakers here in Columbus, Ohio. Yep. And we make we make funny videos and we make uh, entertainment to post online for people to enjoy and to build community around. So, mm-hmm. you know, I believe that when people are laughing that it's disarming. Yes. And that it gives you an opportunity to connect beyond a surface level. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so we've had, we've had a lot of success with that. I'm, I'm not going to say that it's, you know, blowing up or anything like that, but Mm -hmm. I think we're, I think we're, uh, moving in the right direction with, with what we're doing. Yeah, absolutely. So people can find you by on YouTube, just searching Markley brothers entertainment. Yep. So we, we actually, we do have our own website and so you can kind of start at the website level. Okay. Uh, and that is, uh, mbe.tv, mm-hmm. which, you know, you might imagine starts, stands for Markley Bros Entertainment. Aha. Television. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have um, a link for that in the description so you can find it, but that was pretty easy to remember, I would say. Awesome. You'd be shocked how few people get it on the first round. <laughs> and I think it's just another of my long history of coming up with really bad domain names that are just <laughs> impossible for people. <laughs> but, you know, we, we're also on the various social media platforms and, and you can usually, you know, we're usually around. You know? Yeah, we, we follow you guys on, on Instagram, on, on both the, the round table Instagram and my personal Instagram. And like the, the videos are funny. I mean, that's one thing to like, I think point out is like go to YouTube, subscribe to it, obviously. And look at, I mean, lots of the videos aren't even like super long, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but they're funny. So they're like, thank you. It's like sit down, watch it, enjoy it. And I mean, how much, how much content would you even say is on your YouTube channel at this point? Cause you've been doing this for how many years? Yeah. Um, so we've had more than one, uh, go at it. Right. Uh, you know, and, and there's a whole, I think, entrepreneurial conversation too around yep. basically like how to, how to like fail at business 101, you know? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Whenever you're ready for that one, we can have that conversation. <laughs> yes. But, uh, you know, so I, I, I've been carrying forward a lot of content from multiple generations mm-hmm. of, you know, pre Markley Bros Entertainment, um, including our, podcast which was right. the uh the, the original malik's minute show we have over 200 episodes of that mm-hmm. uh we have a uh, sketch comedy show called bucking sailboat okay carrying forward malik's minute sorry for the cut there guys we had a You're technical right. issue it happens it does it happens so often <laughs> <laughs> um yeah so carrying forward content on on the site so right now we have the classic Malik's Minute podcast, which 
was over 200 episodes mm-hmm. of, uh, you know, uh, silly voices and comedy uh, situations and crazy adventures and just all kinds of fun stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bucking Sailboat, which was a sketch comedy that mm-hmm. we that we did for really for me to try to figure out how to do video because video was really hard and elusive yes. for a long time. Yes, and uh, and then you know we started doing. We actually launched a couple of shows very recently. We launched the uh, we we launched a. Uh, surreal news uh, satire comedy show called uh, Ohioville Nine Nightly News, mm-hmm. which is uh, which I do I do plan on doing more of, but it's it's very it's very sporadic right now. Sure, and that was actually one of my favorites. Oh, I really you. liked the news stuff. I, I don't know if it reminds me of SNL or something, but there's just something about that that was really funny. It's it kind of I I mean what I was hoping to hear is that it reminds you of a nightmare because that's really <laughs> <laughs> you wake up in in the twilight zone and there you go. <laughs> that's hilarious. So uh, so then uh, Danger Couch, which mm-hmm. is a completely unscripted. It's our only unscripted show. Yep, and it's it's really just intended to be a, a way to um, have fun on the camera and connect with folks on a weekly basis. So we're yep. We have not missed a week. We're actually coming up on our one year anniversary. We have a wow. very special episode planned for that. Uh, Congratulations! What? Wow. Thank Do you, you have a date? Uh, December thirteenth. December thirteenth. So you'll have something that'll be released on December thirteenth. That is that is the plan. The plan. That is the plan. That hopefully shall it not get be, thwarted. Correct. Yeah. Yes. Okay. That's and that one's a fun one because you have lots of different guests. Yeah, that's a it's rotating a really, cast members. Yeah, it's a really easy way to just bring bring people in and. You know, I I kind of envision it as as being very um, uh, crowd participatory, both mm-hmm. in terms of you know suggestions and uh, and just shout outs, but also bringing people on if they're willing to travel. You know, we, we'll put them up on the danger couch. Yes, to accept <laughs> the danger yes. of the danger couch. Yes, if you are willing to uh, if you are willing to embrace the danger. That's amazing. Yes. So tell us a little bit about the operation. Who's involved in making this content come to life. Yeah. So, uh, so it is very much a, a family endeavor. Mm-hmm. Um, we have, uh, myself and my wife, uh, we put a ton, a ton, a ton of hours and effort into it. Um, my sister and her husband, uh, this is, uh, Susie and Drew. Mm-hmm. So you'll see, uh, you'll see them on, on danger couch all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, Gabe, uh, my brother Gabriel, mm-hmm. uh, is really involved, and of course his wife supports as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, and we we're always working on this. I mean, every every, every few weeks, uh, at a minimum, we get together for filming. Um, yep. We're doing, you know, we'll we'll uh, pretty regularly do like writers meetings and so forth. Uh, we have a ridiculous, elaborate technical setup to allow my 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 sister Susie to do. Uh, video editing from her house mm-hmm. uh, and it's like networked to my video editing at my house. So mm-hmm. we have, we're able to, you know, collaborate on video editing and, and she's, you know, I, I'm, I'm probably putting in about 40 hours a week. She's putting in like 10 to 20 hours a week. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and yeah, it's, it's I think crazy. one of the things that blows my mind about all of that is the fact that you have learned over time I mean, going from just audio 
to audio and video mm-hmm. to effects mm-hmm. in the video, right? Yeah. So, like, for me, the learning curve for this was fairly... It wasn't super steep, but there was a learning curve involved. Sure, sure. And so, like, was was your progression, did it feel, like, more natural? Did you... Were you... Were you like, okay, at, at this point, I want mm-hmm. to add video? Mm-hmm. Or did mm-hmm. you did you always have like an end goal in mind? Or was mm-hmm. it more of a natural organic progression adding things in? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. So to some context, like that, those visual effects that, you know, I just showed you some uh, samples. They were awesome. Thank you. Which Thank is going to be new stuff, that's right? That's new stuff uh, if all goes well coming out later this year. Yes. If all goes not well, then hopefully coming out before I die. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So yes, I've, I've always had a vision to make sci-fi comedy. And I, I remember Mm. one of my, you know, one of my earliest memories is, uh, is, you know, riding around in the car with my dad Mm. and, uh, just thinking about, like all the Doctor Who that we were watching, because mm-hmm. we were watching a lot of Doctor Who. I just want you to know. So let's go to the time frame of Doctor Who, because I know sci-fi geeks that yes. know a lot more about yes. Doctor Who than I do. Yes. So when when it when it, what is the era of Doctor Who? Because there's so uh, we're much talking Who. about we're talking about uh, we're talking about the Tom Baker years. Okay. Okay. So this was content that was made in the 70s and 80s. Okay. And. Uh, Anything newer than that is trash, and you can fight me. <laughs> um, so, yes, I realize I just insulted so many people. That's okay. I it's do all good. It on a regular, I'm an equal opportunity antagonist. <laughs> it happens. That's fair. It does. Yes. Okay. So, but I, you know, I was like five, right? And yeah. I'm like thinking about all this, all this Doctor Who we were watching. And I remember distinctly like asking him, like, hey, dad, can I use your camcorder? to make a Doctor Who episode. And I was like, and he was, and he was just like side eyeing me. And yeah. Like, number one, the camcorder is really expensive. Yes. And number two, can you? <laughs> Cause I think the answer might be no. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, you know, and, and my sort of, uh, my world was saturated with, uh, you know, uh, British sci-fi mm. and Star Trek and, uh, Douglas Adams, you know, um, I don't know that reference, Douglas Adams. Oh, uh, Hitchhiker's Guide Got to it. the Galaxy, um, Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective Agency. Okay. The Long, t- long Dark Tea Time of the Soul. Oh my gosh. Like, I haven't heard of <laughs> the last three things you said, I don't think. Good stuff. Man. So, like, so you're talking about your inspiration at this yeah, point. Yeah, yeah. Right? Well, in my head, you know, I, I had very specific ideas of yeah. what I, what I wanted to make. And, uh, and, and actually this is a rabbit trail, which we really can't get, go down. But, um, <laughs> I, 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 at one point in my teens, I gathered together a, a cohort of folks and we tried to make a 45 minute mini series that was like full sci-fi, CGI, green screen, everything. Wait, how old are you here? Uh, 17, 17. Okay. I spent so much money. And, uh, and, and we burned through like three weeks of everyone's time. And then I could not get it done. Wow. This is one of the areas where, you know, you, you learn when you, when you're really like advocating strongly for people to carve out like manageable chunks of something, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, 
that that there's there's some scars there of yes. like really failing to accomplish something that you know so that that advice comes from a, a place of of like you know school of art knocks man yes so you know it, there's always been that that trajectory that goal yeah but to go back to your question directly like it's never been a natural uh it, it's never been a, a natural it's been incremental mm. Right. And, and when you're talking about creatively trying to accomplish something, the, the jump from nothing to anything is going to be really hard. Yes. Right. Yes. And that's why so many people basically will get old waiting for their moment, you know? Um, but you can build on the, on the learnings of mm-hmm. earlier success and incrementally do more. Yes. But every single time it's the same scary jump. Yeah. You know, every single time it's the same scary jump. And so that you, you have to be prepared not only to really roll up your sleeves and do a, a lot of like really hard work. Mm. There's, there's no, like, I don't think that there's an increment that feels natural or easy. I've mm-hmm. ne- at least I've never seen it. Mm-hmm. So, um, so it's just getting accustomed to and getting used to the idea of like walking up to the edge of a scary cliff and like diving <laughs> every time. But in order to figure out what's off and what needs to be corrected, I feel like you have to kind of be ready to stare into a bit of a scary abyss. I love the way that you phrase that because <laughs> that's a little right along the lines with that sure. little sound bite there, which hopefully everybody heard. But yeah, every time that you need to do that incremental increase, it, it is walking up to the face of a cliff, yeah. and staring over and getting ready to jump. Yeah, I don't, I don't care who you are. Spending like five, $6,000 on camera equipment is scary. Yes. Right? Like, or whatever it is. Well, especially and, when you have a family. Yeah. Is you this the right eat. decision? Your kids got to <laughs> eat. You got to eat. <laughs> I mean, they're not going to eat the lens. <laughs> There's no, hopefully not. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. So it's it's tricky. It's tricky. Yeah. So I mean, one of the one of the things that fascinates me. Well, there's several things that fascinate me about what you've got going on. But the fact, like, so it this the the person commitment for us to do this is really just Kim and I, and then the the kids. They're downstairs, but they're happy. They're just watching a show for an hour while we Eating do this snacks, thing. snacks, watching a show. So we can set them up. None of our kids nap anymore. We yeah, started they're not last year. anymore, so it's possible. And like all of our kids just decide to stop napping. I felt like kind of early. But anyway, that's, that's mm-hmm. another bunny trail we don't need to go down. We're not sad about it. <laughs> no, I'm not. I think that's... Oh, it's kind of a pain like if they nap because then you have to like put them that's true. Yeah. every day mm-hmm. but now they're more autonomous anyway that's kid talk so well, the thing what i'm what i was getting at is the thing that fascinates me is that you have these people involved that are putting in a significant amount of time and effort to help mm-hmm. make it happen so mm-hmm. this vision that you have is dependent on these other people right so can you just talk through a little bit about why you have other people involved yeah well, and, and to be clear, you know, we are talking about a whole community effort, right? Yes. Because uh, the grandparents are very involved in helping mm-hmm. with the kids. We, we all have kids in, yes. in this group that, that, I, that I mentioned. Talking about you know. compounding the problems that need to be oh, solved. Yeah. Multiple mm-hmm. kids, multiple families. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, but I think, um, 
there was a, a pastor that I, uh, that I knew that I, that I, uh, served under at, uh, the rock in Cleveland, Mm -hmm. um, whose name was Mike Hopkins. Mm -hmm. And I remember being in a really dark place where I felt like I had to give up the Mark Libros entertainment vision. Oh, wow. Because I wanted to be a family man. And there was this stark, uh, sense in which, I, I felt that if I, that I couldn't do both, that if, if yeah. I was going to be making these, you know, quote unquote, like financially risky decisions, or if I was going to be living an entrepreneurial lifestyle, that I couldn't also honor God's vision for husband and father. Mm-hmm. And uh, it really was this man, uh, Mike Hopkins, he, he, was, he was married he at the time had, I think four or five boys. They ended up with five boys and then adopting, uh, a, a girl as well. Oh, wow. Um, but he was also, uh, he was also in involved in co-pastoring the church and owned his own business mm-hmm. and, you know, would do all, you know, just all of this stuff, you know, community involvement, like serving. Oh, wow. And so now I, I, I think that, you know, some people just don't need to sleep. And so there's, there's yeah. like a thing going on there. Uh, but I, I was, I, it was transformative for me to realize like, there's no reason. I, I think our society has so many buffers mm. built in that people have come to depend on mm. that, uh, that, are not intrinsic to the human condition. Mm-hmm. God did not make us necessarily to get 40 hours in and then, you know, be done. Yeah. Right. And so this idea that I could with, uh, with careful planning mm-hmm. and, uh, and really, um, just being willing to kind of spend, spend some of my youth and like burn it to the ground. <laughs> I could work a 40 hour a week job, yep. 40, you know, and, and I, I work for a, a pretty aggressive employer. So yes, sometimes I have to put in more than that. Um, and, uh, and then put in another 40, uh, for a business that is not earning, uh, its keep. Yes. And also be, uh, be a husband to my wife and a father to my three boys it's, it's not impossible. Yeah. And, um, are there weeks where I don't, don't like do as well on, you know, one or all of those things? Absolutely. Like that, that doesn't work every week, but on balance, God has been very good to us in that we've been able to keep the ball rolling. Mm -hmm. And, um, and it was really that, uh, that going back to that, uh, revelation, you know, seeing other godly men do that, that, that kind of transformed my vision of what it would take to own and run my own business. Yeah. I want to talk about that in a second too. Can you talk a little bit about spousal buy-in? So Hannah, was she all Mm -hmm. your wife? Mm -hmm. Was she always, uh, bought into this thing? You should have her on the podcast sometime. I should. (laughs) Hannah, we're coming Um, for you. Uh, uh, certainly not. Mm-hmm. She, she was, uh, she was very reserved about the idea. And, 
and I really did. I, I mean, my my journey with God is is a whole nother conversation, sure. right? Because uh, you know that's that's been obviously a lifelong journey. But mm-hmm. um, at at the point where uh, where we really uh, Hannah and I got to know each other and and got married, I was in ministry and I had given up on Markley Bros. So the Markley Bros. Entertainment vision was I I felt like I had to um, give it up oh. because, because God had told, you know, he, I, I had, I had been called into the ministry out of my tech career. Got it. And, um, and it really was, uh, I, I think um, it's, it's, I, I always kind of thought of it like a, um, like a, like the sacrifice of Isaac kind of mm. situation, mm-hmm. which, you know, is, is a, a maybe a, a little bit pretentious to say, but at least for me, it was like, I felt that God was asking me if he or Mark Bros entertainment was more important, like which, which one, which one was more important. And so it really wasn't until a few years into marriage mm-hmm. that, um, the, the, the desire to go back to that, really started to be reawakened yeah. and uh, Hannah and I really had to work through what that would even, you know, cause it, it was uh, probably jarring for her in, yeah. <laughs> in many respects. And, and she really had this idea of, you know, you, you work eight hours and then you come home and you have every evening with your family and you have every weekend with your family. Yeah. And um, it wasn't, until we really started talking about the vision of, you know, the community aspects to it and the, the gospel centricity of the Mark Bros entertainment vision mm-hmm. that she started. I, I mean, I think really what ended up happening was she, she probably started to acquiesce to the idea of investing some of these, some of this time and some of this energy based on how important it was to me. Yeah. But it wasn't until, we started to see, you know, she started to get, it started to click for her mm-hmm. and the narrative started to, 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 uh, gel for her yeah. that she fell in love with the vision too. And I, I think at this point she would articulate that she, uh, that, that it's her vision as well. Oh yeah. You know, which has been, I think one of the wilder parts to me is how invested she is right. in it. And there's complete cohesion between the two of you. When you talk about the vision, when you're talking about those conversations and the hard conversations of working through it, and was the vision fully formed at that point, or was it still coming together? So, you know, I've always I've always really tried to hold with an open hand, like the the details, like mm-hmm. the nitty gritty of of what things would look like. Mm-hmm. I think based on the assumption that. Uh, that God is, is, is leading in how he has gifted me and the passions that he's, uh, that he's put in my heart. Mm -hmm. I've, I've always had a sense that there were specific ingredients that would need to go into this dish. Yes. But without necessarily knowing what the final dish is going to look or taste like, yeah, <laughs> you know, and so it 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 always has revolved around number one being able to connect with people through that shared experience of laughter. Yes, being able to make people laugh and 
through that disarming effect of laughter to connect with people in a way that goes beyond what you can do in traditional media. Yeah. And moving past that to enable people with technology and tools and coaching that creatives who maybe would not be able to accomplish yeah. what they what their vision is or what they, you know, maybe they could accomplish way more if they had just a little bit of, of encouragement or a little bit of a push and, and believing that you would get more of a reflection of the creator into Mm. creation Mm -hmm. if people felt more empowered to do it. Yeah. So there's a divine uh, obligation in there. Yeah. And then, uh, and then, you know, beyond that, just to have the, the gospel opportunities associated with connecting with individuals who are in the audience who may be hurting yeah, or connecting with creatives who, uh, may be, you know, learning to express themselves and, uh, and finding, great enablement and empowerment in the opportunity to create, but don't have a, uh, a, a relationship with Jesus and a, a firm foundation for what it is that they're, you know, what, what it is that their life is about. Yeah. Or even just having employees and having folks who I'm working with and seeing on a day, day-to-day basis who are, you know, whatever, whatever their role is, mm. those, those folks you know, if, if God gives us that opportunity, they might not know Jesus. And so there are gospel opportunities associated with all of those things. So those are kind of the ingredients. Yeah, that's great. You know, that's great. What um, that's going to look like though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, yeah. You don't really know what the outcome is going to look like, but that's really, that's really cool. Can you talk a little bit about your guys's venture into, cause I mean, you've, you've done some things and taking some risks that scare my <laughs> scare me to death. So let's talk about you you are married, you have children, you quit your day job and you start doing this deal full time. Oh, Can you man. talk us through just some whatever you want to say about yeah, that cuz yeah, that's yeah, just yeah. it's wild to me. Well, it, it, to be clear, this has not happened yet, right? This is a completely hypothetical situation. Well, I right? thought you guys did that. I not thought that yet. happened in the past. Well, so uh, we had, there have been a couple of times where we've taken some some pretty, you know, pretty, pretty uh, significant leaps of faith in my, in the context of my career. Yes. Okay. You know, um, so the, the first one and, and Hannah and I were really not, uh, in a relationship yet, but, but I left my career to, uh, go on staff at the church. Mm -hmm. And, um, and that was a, that was a big leap of faith, but it was also, it it also really conditioned me to trust and believe that God would, would take care of us. Mm. You know, even if I didn't know where the grocery money was going to come from necessarily, (laughs) um, you know, it was, it was a, uh, very instructive and, mm. uh, and formative experience. Yeah. Um, since then, you know, I, uh, there've been a couple of times where we talked about making a big investment, um, 
uh, I think the one that you, you were kind of alluding to before was, uh, taking out like a, like a $30,000 loan mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and getting a lease on a, a, on a warehouse, Yes, you know, and, and, um, in the context of, uh, Markley, Markley bros entertainment, I really wanted to like build a studio in that space. Right. Um, but my primary plan was to do, uh, like cryptocurrency mining. Got it. Uh, and so I built a, a, a pretty large rig in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, I don't want to name names, but one of your previous podcast guests actually helped me with some of the electrical wiring. Oh, really? <laughs> I'll that leave you to guess exciting. <laughs> you know, we did not set. I, we did not set ourselves or the equipment or the building on fire. So, <laughs> uh, it was a lot of fun. Um, That's hilarious. you know, but yeah, like, uh, the bottom fell out on that. Like there's mm. the, the, um, at the time, uh, there was a, there was a pretty steep, uh, decrease in the profitability of, of that. And it was, it put us in the red long enough, uh, that, that we had to bail, mm-hmm. you know, and it took a couple of years to really, pay off that debt, mm-hmm. um, to get us back to, you know, being debt free. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. You know, but, uh, you know, that was, it was a big risk. And in some yeah. regards you could say like, it didn't pan out because operationally like these different sources of income, they all dried up mm-hmm. and we never got to the point from like building the studio that we could generate revenue from that. Yeah. And so, uh, you could you could call the whole thing a failure, but again, it was instructive. Yes. and you know, learned a lot, and particularly learned how to bounce back from yeah. you know, a pretty big. Tell us about your mental state throughout that. Oh, uh, I mean, yeah, there were some there were some times where it was it was tricky. Yeah, yeah, um, I, I think I I don't know if there was ever a point where. I struggled to know what the next right thing to do was. Okay. And that was something that, um, uh, I, I I learned from my father-in-law who's actually also a pastor. Um, he, you know, he, he always, he, he's, he always says, just do the next right thing, whatever it is that you, you know, when you're, you're, you're dealing with, uh, a really difficult time and a storm, you know, yeah. you've got to put one foot in front of the other. Just do the next right thing. Yeah. So whether it was, for example, you know, this lease that we couldn't pay, uh, going to the owner of the warehouse and just saying, look, like, I, I'm very sorry. I have nothing. Yeah. And I can, you know, I, I, I can pay you like the next month. Mm-hmm. right now that you can use to, you know, get the place ready and you can put it on the market now, or you can come after me, but you're going to get nothing because I have nothing, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you know, and just working through it with him on the phone, you know, talking through it and, and get, and literally like, I'm not going to recommend that people sign a lease if they don't know <laughs> how they're going to pay for it. But, you know, just, just like on, just being honest and, yeah. and being yeah. willing to yeah. uh, pay for my mistakes as much as possible and like work stuff out with people, having hard conversations, staying up late and working 
on stuff when I yeah. needed sleep. <laughs> yeah. But needed to get something done more. Yeah. That stuff, you know? I mean, your journey is so fascinating because, I mean, I knew this about you a while ago, but the fact that you were homeschooled all the way through, mm-hmm. I was too. But you are so motivated to learn so many different things fascinates me. And I don't think we brought this up, but I think it's worth mentioning. You did not go to college. So I was at Ohio State University for one year. One year. Uh, Burned through a lot of money. Yes, as you do. As one does. Yes. And uh, I learned chiefly that I hated the experience and I did not want to continue it. Tell me, tell me about that, because I have lots of opinions on this now <laughs> that I didn't used to have. But I want to know, like, what, what was the experience like for you? Yeah, I, I mean... And what ultimately got you to the decision that this is, this is not for me, me yeah. but also that this is generally not good, if that's fair. Yeah, no, I, I think there are a lot of things that I can share from my life experience that I think... Um, are, are replicatable mm-hmm. and that people can apply and, mm-hmm. and that I'm happy to like help people with. Yeah. Um, my, my college misadventures have, are not in that category, Got right? It. There's a lot of, there's a lot about my experience that is, is unique to my situation that mm-hmm. I don't think people would necessarily be able to replicate. Sure. You know, and the main thing was number one, that I, I had, you know, the, effectively, I had the opportunity to apprentice with my dad in mm-hmm. his efforts. Um, you know, for a company that he uh, co-founded, I had the opportunity to spend a lot of time working there. Um, I I learned a ton from him in the technology and 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 programming field. So then, by the time I uh, by the time I was going into college, I already had a, uh, a, a full-time salaried position. Got it. Um, with a, with a local company. And, you know, so I went to college because that's what people were indicating you had to do. Yeah. <laughs> um, not my parents, they didn't really push me on that, but sure. there were other folks who kind of indicated to me, well, of course you need to, you need to have a degree. Yeah. Um, and it seemed, you know, like the thing you do. So I, mm-hmm. I went, I went in there and I'll, I'll tell you, like for me, I, I had so much trouble connecting the dots between what it was I was being asked to do mm. and anything that I cared about. Yeah. And so, right. uh, so, you know, if you're for, for me, one of the things I, you know, I mentioned this before being motivated to do a thing, right. Is, is really a strong incentive to do the work, to learn how to do the thing. Yes. And to, and to, to perfect that capability. Um, and, and that's been, that's been my, continuous learning journey through, through my whole life has been to just force myself into situations where if I don't know how to do the thing, then I'm, I'm going to fail at something that I care about. So then I have to, I have to do it. And, and college was just not one of those things that I cared about. And I was on the verge of failing. So I was just like, this is a, this is a very expensive nothing. So I just left. (laughs) This is a very expensive learning with no benefit. Yeah. Like I found myself actually, it was, it was kind of, the way I articulated it to my professors at the time, the, the ones that I actually cared about was like, I am not in class because I'm 
meeting with a patent and trademark attorney and I'm starting my own company and I just don't care about this anymore. Yeah. And they were like, then go. <laughs> <laughs> then the answer is <laughs> the answer go. is leave. <laughs> had you even picked a major or anything like that? Uh, I had been accepted into the computer science program. Sure. Um, and I tested out of the prerequisites and they were uh-huh. like, we're so excited to have you. And I was like, but am I excited? To be- <laughs> <laughs> and again, it's not a replicatable situation, right? Yeah. And it sounds yeah. just yeah. so pretentious. Um, but, but it was, it was a very, it, it was a very unique situation that not only had I received so much quote unquote job training from my father, right. Uh, which which I which I fully recognize is a an incredible blessing. A lot of folks don't have sure, um, but also I was in a field that was uniquely merit based. Sure, right, and and software engineering has always been based on you know people are making money with technologies that are that are too new to be taught in school. Right, most of the time. So uh, if you are not able to demonstrate continuous learning then you will not succeed yeah you know and you if you are if you come out of college fully equipped with all of the technologies that they teach you in college Mm -hmm. then you are not marketable right so you know it's 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 tricky yeah you you have to you have to approach it as learning how to continuously learn yeah um otherwise you're you're not gonna do well. You're not going to succeed. That's really good. So, um, let's just take some time here. What I, I can't see the clock over there, so I don't know what we're at. Oh, we're we're past time. Oh, okay. So Tell, cut, it, cut it all down. Cut it all out. <laughs> yes, because I've been doing episodes too long, but I could talk. I could talk with you forever. Um, That's true. So go ahead and just kind of tell people. Um, Basically, I just kind of want you to get some time here to just kind of tell people whatever you want to tell them in terms of what's coming from Markley Brothers yeah. Entertainment. And then I would like you to give, I think I think you've already kind of gotten into this, but I would like you to just mentally distill down as much as you can in a short period of time how you would just encourage somebody that's in a, that has any kind of a similar background to you, the younger person, and how they can... Cause, the self-learning that you have given yourself is so key and it's not something that's taught or encouraged right now. But I remember being young, so much of your story. I I remember being young and being like, I I remember being like, I want to learn how to do a computer, but I didn't have anybody to show me anything about computers, but I was fascinated by them. Um, And then I was really interested in like doing creative things, but I didn't have anybody to show me how to draw. Um, because I really wanted to draw with my writing stuff that I was doing. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, just like even just thinking about, okay, you have an idea of what you want to do and um, how you would encourage somebody that maybe they don't know where to really stick their feet and start. You've kind of gotten into that, and I think you've provided a lot of stuff during the whole episode, but maybe just kind of summarize yeah. and bring all that to a point. So, uh, first, what's coming up from Markley Brothers Entertainment, what yeah. people can look forward to, and then your closing yeah. thoughts. Yeah, so... Uh, Markley Bros Entertainment. We have uh, a number of shows that are being worked on right now. Uh, there are shows coming out, uh, episodes coming out weekly. So there's content that you can consume. 
uh, we have some big stuff, uh, including um, we're planning to do a live event in December that will be interactive and involve prizes and all Sweet. that fun stuff. I don't know when this episode is going to come out, but this maybe. episode we can talk about when to schedule it. Usually, I do them in consecutive order, it's, but it's, we can. It's probably long done. Whatever, whatever we're talking about with Markle Bros Entertainment, we already burned out. We gave up. <laughs> By now. Where are they now? Episode isn't going to be happening. Oh man, yeah, no. So uh, you know, we we have we have some fun stuff coming up uh, at the end of 2021. Okay, um, and in, you know, continuous uh, you know ramping up of activities for 2022. Mm-hmm. Um, we're hoping to get out to some conventions Sweet. in 2022, okay. assuming that that actually happens. Yep. And uh, we have our own app now that is in the Apple App Store and the Google Play Store. All of that you can access through mbe.tv. And we have a really robust community on Discord right now that Got is it. continuing to grow. And there's you know people posting stuff all the time. Uh, a lot of fun. So Discord, like they can, they'll be able to get to your website and then join Discord that way. Yep, we have okay. a like a join us button that okay. has just a ton of different ways to connect with us. And uh, Discord is on there. The app is on there. All that stuff is is going. We actually do have a Patreon now as well. Okay. Uh, the reward tiers aren't very exciting yet. They're getting <laughs> they're getting there. Sure. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, we're we're just in the process of launching incrementally. Okay. And then any closing thoughts that you have to encourage people with? So to encourage people on the continuous learning and, and creative, uh, creative endeavors, you know, I, I think, you know, there's the, the one main paradigm shift for, uh, for learning and approaching new things is, is people, I feel like are equipped generally to uh, to to be equipped for a certain thing and then to stop, mm. right? So people will learn up to the point where they're taking a test, or learn up to the point where they can get a certification or something something that's necessary. And I feel like those things are not bad. I'm not saying they're bad, but I'm saying that they incentivize the wrong behavior and the wrong attitude. Yeah. And if you can, if you're early enough in your education that you're still being dragged through the process of passing a test or obtaining a certification, you have the opportunity to engage in a paradigm shift where your goal is not to pass the test or to obtain the certification or to get that degree, but your goal is to discipline your ability to learn. Yeah. to continue to learn and to be dissatisfied with things that you don't know. Because I hear so many people creatively or in any other field tell me, well, I'm not a X or I can't do X. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, we, we live in an information age where, yeah. you know, any information that you would ever need about how to accomplish a thing is available at your fingertips and probably for free. Yep. So, you know, you're not going to learn how to do open heart surgery on Google, I hope. Hopefully. But uh, I, think <laughs> that's a, I think that's a different podcast, actually. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, but, 
Uh, but for the most part, if there's a creative skill or a field of study that you want to start to learn, there's no reason why you can't. And uh, if you if you haven't engaged in that paradigm shift, it's it's never too late. You you can always learn new things, and it's it's scary. Mm. You have to put an investment in, whether that's dollars or time. Yeah. Um, usually those are interchangeable economically speaking. So right. you put in an investment and you get out what you pay for. Yeah. You know, that's really good. That's, that's a great place to land it. Alex, thanks so much for coming on. Thank really you. enjoyed the conversation. Very excited for the future of Markley bros entertainment. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank and you. Additional content. And we look forward to having you on again. Oh, I'd, I'd love it. Yeah. This is a great podcast. I oh, enjoy listening. Thank enjoyed you. Enjoyed the conversation. Thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely. See you next time.